So this is a podcast PSA. What you are about to listen to is going to blow your mind. Okay, I don't want to do that just in case it doesn't. But it blew my mind. Uh, Sasha was amazing. She came at me with so much intense information with regards to pricing, billing, QuickBooks, all of the things. So this is my PSA, my PPSA podcast. What does PSA stand for? Podcast public service announcement for you all. I think that this one is either a listen to twice kind of episode or a have a pen and paper, get ready to pause, rewind and take notes kind of episode. And it's real good. I obviously did the interview. So I was, a lot of information came at me then. I edited the interview and I think I'm gonna have to sit down and listen to it. And I'm also hiring her to help me with my QuickBooks and set it up the way she has discussed in this episode. So if you're not QuickBooks, it doesn't matter. All of this applies, whether you're FreshBooks, probably whether you are that other really cool one that I can't think of right now, that Wave, Wave, that one, whatever, doesn't really matter at all applies. It's real good. Enjoy. All right, guys, I'm here today with Sasha Thing from ID8 Design Studio. How's it going? Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So you had DM'd me a little while ago and you were like, I'd love to be a guest. And I said, that sounds great. Let me know what you think you want to talk about. And then you reached back out to me and you said you'd love to talk about some pricing stuff, which I'm super keen on. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's one of the topics that seems to come up pretty often amongst all the uh, Facebook groups and websites. And I just thought, you know, let's just jump into it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? But okay, so obviously, before we chatted, I went to check out your website. And guys, she has got a beautiful portfolio. Her website's beautiful. Uh, your portfolio is beautiful. I, I'm not going to lie. I was like, holy crap. When I went, <laughs> I was like, really, really good stuff. So why don't we start by you Thank telling you. your backstory? Like, you know, what brought you into interior design? Like, did you always do, love it growing up? Like, tell me your whole story, how you got here. Well, um, I just have a couple of notes that I'm going to refer to so I can stay on track. Um, Yeah. So thank you so much for your kind comments about the website. You know, it's a work in progress as everybody Mm -hmm. is probably doing themselves. Um, And uh, I've sort of been a designer, I would say, for the last 15 years. And I've had my own studio for seven years. Um, I'm originally from India, as you might be able to tell from my accent. Um, But I have worked um, several places... um, around the world and um, finally landed in Boston. So this has been exciting. Um, I worked for a couple of different firms here in Boston and abroad and then uh, decided to launch ID8 in 2012. And was that a scary decision for you? Well, um, I come from, um, I'm a third generation architect interior designer. Um, My mom and uh, grandmother are both actually architects and interior designers and uh, so for me it was something that I just knew would happen eventually Um, you know I'd seen it happen with them they had their own studios while I was growing up that's where I did my homework that's where I hung out after school I went with them on site visits and it was just some of something that sort of happened very organically Um, it was just a matter of timing and that's really incredible I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who has a story like that 
That's so cool. So, okay. What can you, do you have any thing that you might say, like one big thing that you learned having seen your own, you know, your mother and your family be in the business? Like, was there anything that you kind of just by default learned that you took with you? Well, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you learn a lot while when you're watching two women like them mm-hmm. at it every day, uh, you learn a lot about uh, clients, you learn a lot about pricing, although it's very different from how we do it here. You learn a lot about self-confidence, mm. um, in a, in a very male dominated industry, especially in India as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Not very different from here. Um, so you mean like the architect side, obviously, cause I feel like. Yeah, designers. Oh, because I feel yeah. the opposite on the designer side. But okay, okay. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. So it's been. It was. It was an interesting time for me. They also had multiple employees. Um, you know, running a studio and a family. I'm one of four. So mm. where it was uh, hand, hands full for my mom for many many years. Uh, my grandmother as well. Um, you know, she had three kids. So I've I've sort of. Um, it was an interesting experience, and uh, I never thought that I couldn't do it, I guess, based on that, because I just saw them do it. And yeah. it was, they did it. They loved it. They were passionate about their work. Um, fearless, I would say. And uh, yeah, that was just the next step for me, I guess. Um, it was just, a, like I said, a matter of time. And uh, we've been traveling, my husband and I, for a couple of years. And once we decided that Boston was going to be our home, it just sort of eventually happened. Yeah. So did your, okay, upon deciding to start your own business, did your, did your mom give you any kind of words of advice that, that you hold dear now or? Well, um, I think she said, don't be, don't do architecture. (laughs) When I initially started thinking about it, uh, she's like, you know exactly what it entails. So just, uh, you know, keep your eyes open when you get into it. But, you know, as, as, as designers are, we love what we do. So yeah. there wasn't another choice really in a different career option. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, you know, jumped in head first, but um, she tried to remind me about family a lot because I That's think great. we get caught up in um, what we do. We're trying uh-huh. to please our clients. We're trying to get through crazy deadlines. Um, often, you know, sleepless nights, stressed out. And yeah. she was like, you know, you're, you're having, you have kids try to balance, try the, you know, the work-life balance, the mysterious work-life balance aspect. (laughs) So, yeah. I wonder if she said that to you too, because like, you know, maybe she thinks like, oh, you know, maybe my balance wasn't so great back in the day. And she's like, do, do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. Do you think it was that or no? Or was she just really good at it? I mean, I think she was juggling a, a shitload. I mean, you know, I mean, my father was an airline pilot, so he wasn't even around. That's so- uh, yeah, so she was like doing it all, driving us everywhere, getting us to activities, getting us to school and back and four of us. So, you know, it's not easy. I only have two kids and I decided to launch my studio. I think when I was eight months pregnant with my second one, mm-hmm. um, I was that's, a, that's, that's like intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's intense. And I think it was just like a, a moment in my life where I said, you know, it's now or never. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is about pregnancy or um, that period in your pregnancy maybe where you're like I can freaking do anything I can you know what it's so weird that you say that so this morning I met up with like I think another eight designers we try to like every 
month and a half or two meet up for what like a mastermind and I was talking there's a lot of mothers in the in the group and right. somebody said something about the second pregnancy and having done this made the decision and somebody had actually said like there's something about the second second pregnancy yeah yeah because you I mean I think I had worked for several firms and and they didn't like the idea of um, you know, me leaving on time forget about leaving early leaving on time was an issue oh my god for daycare so pickups you funny. know yeah. yeah and i was like this is ridiculous i mean i should be able to have a career and be a mom and of course everybody warns you of that moment when you have to give up one or the other mm-hmm. so i said to myself i i am not ready to be a stay at home mom i'm not ready to give this up yet i'm going to give this a shot if this is the only way to do it let's try i love it okay yeah. so let's talk about pricing then so You've been doing this for seven years. Out of curiosity, could you think about how many times you've changed your pricing model over the seven years? Oh my God, every six months. <laughs> it's so funny because I was going to say, I've been in this for like three years and I know for sure it's probably been at least 10. Yeah. What are you doing? Let's talk. Well, how do you want to start? Do you think it's better to tell us like the way you're doing it now and, some of, and why it's working or like where do you think is the best place to start? Yeah, so I can, um, let me, I mean, I just want to start off with saying that starting a business is the hardest thing to do. Um, You know, it's been seven years and it's been a lot of learning. I mean, some days were hard and I think the the exciting parts are when you get a project and, or you complete a project and everyone's happy and, you know, you walk away or you get it photographed and you're completely satisfied with that moment. Um, But I think money, I find, is one of the hardest aspects of what I do. I think partly because I love what I do and it's hard to charge people for that. Yeah. You right? feel guilt almost, right? You, yeah. You feel guilt. You're like, oh my God, I'm an artist. Um, I just want to help them. How can I charge them for this? But you know, the way that I look at it finally, after years of feeling that way is people will only value what you give them if you charge them for it. We live in that kind of a world today where if you charge money, it's valuable. If it's free, it's dispensable. Yeah. So to earn the respect and the value of your work and of your vision, I think you have to charge what you need to charge. That is so bang on. I was totally thinking the same thing about, especially I feel like with that price tag, respect is totally given and they trust you more. Yeah, they trust you because they know that there's something that is making you more responsible. I think it makes us also more responsible with somebody's money because you're talking about, you know, people's savings. Yeah. If sometimes it's people who've been saving up for years to do a renovation and they want to feel like you're a responsible adult. And when you charge money for something, there's a mutual respect mm-hmm. that you earn. So I think that's what I wanted to start from is that I think the guilt is um, normal. I think we all feel it because this is something that we're passionate about. But at the same time, I think it's crucial to your pricing structure to value yourself, your worth uh, in the marketplace, not your self-worth, but just in the marketplace in terms of your services and also to get the mutual respect from your clients. So I think just starting from there, I would say, um, yeah, it's changed my structure, you know, fee structure several times. Um, But the way that I look at it, and I, and I do have some flexibility when I'm charging clients, is either I do it hourly or I do it fixed fee. Okay. Um, the things that I would say 
make me go one way or the other is the scope of work. Okay. So if the scope is set in stone, we know exactly what we're getting into. We know the outcome. Um, and this is most often with repeat clients that I find that yeah. I've worked with them before. I don't see there's going to be too many surprises in the way that they work or we work together. Um, they understand how I do things and I understand the expectations so I can give them a fixed fee. Mm-hmm. And I find when you do that, you do have a potential to make money in a fixed fee because mm-hmm. you know what it's going to cost you. And then of course the rest is a profit that you can take home. Yeah. So a fixed fee is great if you know your scope of work and I would encourage more and more designers to do that. Um, the can client- you explain how, okay, so let's say you're working with a client and you've decided, to, actually, can we take one quick step back? Do you do consultations? And if so, what do you charge? Well, uh, you mean the first meeting? Uh, yes. Yes, yes. I, all, I do a, a phone call to qualify the clients. Yep. Um, and then I do set up a meeting in-house. Um, and I do not charge for that. Okay. Yes. Um, that was a decision I made years ago because um, I think that the first meeting has to be about getting to know each other, mm-hmm. me getting to know them, them getting to know me. And what I find um, most powerful or empowering, I would say, is to be able to walk away from that without any money being exchanged. Mm-hmm. And so, it does make it easy to say no if you don't feel that connection, right? Exactly. And I think that's exactly why I, I want to be in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. And I do not want to be having that discussion with somebody who I don't want to work with. Because it's hard to start to talk to somebody about, oh, this is what the, the consultation fee is going to be. Uh, but I'm sorry, I don't want to work with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, know. I just had it happen, but I did yeah. work my way through it. peeps. This podcast is sponsored by Ultralux Linens. Ultralux Linens is a 500 square foot showroom of gloriousness. Right now, I feel like I might have said 5,000 square feet in a previous ad. I should go back and listen. But no, it's 500 square feet and it's got fabrics, wall coverings, bedding, towels. They're known for exceptional service and for being an expert resource for designers and decorators. Jacqueline, the owner, has been a, is a designer and a decorator. She's got over 20 years of experience. The showroom is located in the uh, Toronto International Design Center, second floor, suite 202. And the great thing is she actually also works with people in the U.S. as well. So you do not have to be in the greater Toronto area to be able to work with them. And One of the questions I've been getting from designers asking from having heard the ad is that they're wondering if whether, you know, they're going to get the same pricing that they would get if they went direct to say Kravit or JF Fabrics. Absolutely. We're getting the exact same price that we would get. The added benefit here is that you only have one person that you have to reach out to to get your memo samples, to order your fabric. Plus they also have a workroom. So you could take it one step further, order all of your fabrics from one place and get your draperies custom made by them as well. And if you're somebody who really, which I highly recommend, wants to see the fabric before they actually uh, you know, make the drapes, then you can obviously go in, take a look at the fabric beforehand, make sure everything's good. They're also gonna check your fabric. The lot that we are doing drapes right now, and they actually sent me an email showing me a couple defects that the fabric did have. So they are checking it for you. They're making sure it's absolutely perfect. And honestly, 
So far, I've had such a great experience and I cannot wait to get my drapes up. I'm very, very excited. So guys, if you haven't reached out to them yet, I urge you to go to ultraluxlinens.com, follow them on Instagram, ultraluxlinens, go visit them in the showroom. And again, you don't even have to go to the showroom. Reach out to them, send them an email, say, hey, I'm... Michelle from Michelle Bennett Design, and they're going to ask you maybe for some credentials. I can't remember how I set up an account, but you set up an account and you can just start ordering memos. You don't even have to go in if you don't want to. It's amazing. So guys, go again, go check it out. Toronto International Design Center, second floor, suite 202. You can talk to Jacqueline or Emily. Both are amazing resources to help you find what you need. Seriously, guys, you're not going to be disappointed. Go check it out for yourself and make your life a little bit easier. Ultraluxlinens.com. But okay, so after the consultation, then you've identified the scope. So let's pretend it's a flat fee situation. Right. Um, you would then, how do you, um, how does that execute? Do you collect it a hundred percent upfront? What's the payment terms and right? So if you have a fixed fee, um, the way to do it is to break it up into three to four payment schedules. Um, they are always assigned to a deliverable. Um, the way that I have my proposals laid out is a schematic design fee, um, a design development, uh, construction drawings, and then construction administration. That is the structure of my proposals. It's very much like a lot of architecture firms. Mm -hmm. um, and what I do of late, actually, is that I've begun to have a payment schedule attached to that deliverable. So, okay, so... You start the project, you collect a certain percentage up front? Yes, yes. Okay. I collect a retainer up front, which is usually what amounts to the final payment or the fi final phase of the project. So, gotcha. for oh, example, if you're doing construction administration, which is the project management in the end, uh -huh. um, what you would imagine the final two invoices to be approximately is what I collect up front. Mm -hmm. this, this I do for two reasons. One is... Um, I need a retainer from all my clients and a signed contract to even put pen to paper. Yeah. I do not begin a project without that. Um, the, the second thing is that you want to be covered for any time that you put into a project when you begin, if they decide to change their mind. Say they get into a project and then life happens and they want to put it on pause. You've invested 15 hours, 20 hours, whatever that might be. You want to be covered for that time. You okay, don't want so to go back to them and say, totally. hey, now pay me for that. No, you've got enough in your bank account to cover you for that first invoice. Two, okay, I have a question. You know how you said you break it up? You, did you say it was four different fees, basically, yes. based on yeah. four different phases? Okay, right. so can I ask this question then? So phase one, we're going to yes. just say phase one. Does that work for you? Yeah. Phase one compared to phase four. Correct. Are they approximately typically the same amount of hours or which one would be more hours? Well, I break it up equally. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Then yeah. that makes sense. Cause it's yeah. funny because for me, like I, I do this a little bit the same way now too. Um, my final phase, there are different types of phases. So that's a big thing, but my final phase is the smallest amount of time. Well, that's not true. The middle phase purchasing is the smallest amount of time. Right. Like mostly decorating. And then my last phase is like the second most amount of hours. And my first one's the heaviest. So I was, my head's going, well, if they abort mission, that last payment doesn't work for me, but I get it. Right. So that's something for people to keep in mind of though. Like if your phases are not created equal, then 
just make sure that you can get to the end of your first phase and get covered. Right. right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the second reason, like I was saying for collecting the retainer is that I like that the client doesn't owe me any money at the end of the project. I do like that too. Right. Like they've just paid a million bills. They've just played the contractor. They just bought a shitload of furniture. Yeah. And when you go with a $0 invoice, they're like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Oh, I so love you. Good. I love that. Yeah. That, so yeah, that really works. Yeah. That works because I do get actually notes from clients saying, this is amazing. You know, they had completely forgotten about the retainer at some point. And they're like, oh my God, that's right. You have a retainer. We don't owe you anything. Really? It's like when you're renting and you're like, oh my God, I already paid last month's rent. Right. I got a month free. Well, right. not really, but yeah. <laughs> right. I like that. Yeah. So it leaves a good taste in your mouth. Absolutely. I My philosophy now is definitely... <laughs> Ask for as much of the money while the warm fuzzies are still happening. Like, and, and if anything, the goal should be never to have to ask for more money than you've estimated. If I can, like, to me, even if the client has to, in my opinion, actually, um, even if the client has to be like sticker shock at the beginning, they then mentally accept it. And then if you could just try to never ask for, aside from like in phases is fine, but never ask for more than was ever expected. As long as it stays within what you originally estimated, it would be great. But flat fees is different, obviously, but. Right. Um, no, I mean, but you're right. I mean, I was going to say that when we do it hourly, we definitely have an estimate. Yes. Because, I mean, it's a range. It might be a range, which ranges in 10%. Yeah. But there's definitely a range because I have done projects in the past on an hourly basis and then you start billing and they're like oh my god what's this yeah and you're like yeah what did you think this project was going to cost you know yeah i mean I know, you're spending 500,000 on this know. in yeah. on this renovation yes and my my fees are going to be a minimum of $25,000 sure yeah you know so yeah so what's the billing strategy for hourly then so the billing strategy for hourly is i have a principal rate and i have a, an assistant rate um, and I bill for everything, um, based on that. I mean, existing conditions, same thing. We provide an estimate of hours based on the scope. Um, same thing with the retainer, nothing changes. Okay. So let's so, say the hours was 50. Like, can we use that as a, or whatever, a sure. hundred, let's say a hundred hours. Sure. Okay. So you let, no, you said it's a range. So we'll call it, you said 90 to a hundred hours. Correct. What do you collect as the retainer? So if you have 90 to 100 hours, I would collect at least 25 hours in retainer. Okay. Right. So let's call it 25%-ish. Yes. Okay. So, and again, you're holding that as the final payment. Correct. And then do you bill monthly or biweekly? How do you send out your monthly. hours? Monthly. Yeah. Okay. Or, or based on the deliverable, depending on right. what goes faster. Okay. Right? So if you've completed an entire phase of design 